show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to put food on the table because speaking truth to power doesn't feed your family. Yeah, we're talking about that separation situation, the dissolution day job. It's the child support showdown. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And I am Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to a performer, a director, a writer, instructor, and a fellow podcaster. She has produced, performed, written, and directed over 60 shows. Yeah, she has been not only an inspiration, but a dear friend. And I am so pleased to welcome to the show the incomparable Mirage Throng. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Oh, this is crazy. I am happy too. I am super happy. I'm so psyched that I'm just like, I feel chill for once. I'm like, oh, I'm chilled. You feel chills or you're like feeling chill? I feel feel like I'm chill. Like it's cool. Mirage is on the show. I don't know this, Jamie. Yeah. (laughs) See, this is the thing. I'm so uptight. That you got to know that I am just the black version of Jamie. That's it. Oh my God. (laughs) We know that's it. Oh my God. So we've been trying to do this since March and then COVID took us all out. Mm -hmm. You didn't get sick from COVID though. No, I didn't get COVID. I haven't had the Rona yet. She's, she's stalking, you know, she's around. I know that. Yeah. And so, um, I want to go back and talk about a bunch of your jobs. Um, Mirage though, really in the middle of Corona, there was so much. There was so much other stuff going on. <laughs> Drama. Drama in the <laughs> American government, and Mirage single-handedly, I gotta say, um, made a movement. Yeah, you like- in Hollywood, and I think it's important that we talk about that because Mirage is a stand-up comic, an improviser, an actress, a brilliant writer. Um, she's a director. She's directed many a show at the second city and outside of second city. Um, but that is one a lot of listeners are familiar with because a lot of our listeners aren't LA based, um, necessarily. Mm, So I like to explain. Um, so anyways, there is this underlying thing and I think it's relevant and you can see it no matter where you are on television. If you turn your TV on, (laughs) there's a lot of white people. Yeah, there's a white people. Yeah, entertainment, much much like many other businesses in America, is predominantly white. There's a lot of white people. A lot of white people. White um, people are around. We're around. Oh, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, infectious. Uh, but because <laughs> we had boats. But in the middle of all of this, shit was happening, and Mirage was like, "That's it, I'm done," <laughs> and started a movement that became so huge overnight. Yeah, I want to talk to you a minute about that. How does, I mean, you've always been an activist and I know this because of your father's story, um, but that's your story to tell. But um, how did your art and everything you're doing, what was that shift into full activist? Yeah. Okay, so outside of that situation, my shift has just been a gradual shift because you, um, I, I wrote the show, It's Not Funny. And that kind yeah. of kind of took me off into that area. I've always written in that edgy kind of way, this way that's just about 
social justice and and um, marginalization, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's always been there for me because I had a different way to look at comedy, which is now how I teach comedy. That's I teach it from that perspective instead of teaching it old school style. But I always had that. And when I started to write good comedy, stuff that people will laugh and you would laugh at, um, it always had that tinge of, of you know, th- this is how I see the world. Yeah, and the way I see the world is 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 I I see it through the eyes of the person who um, doesn't feel included. So I think it's important to see those people and let them know. I think that stage the stage is a place that we're our responsibility is to show the people themselves, so that they are like that's me. I can see myself there. And, um, and our stages don't do that. Right. So I didn't see that. So I, I became that. And you're talking again for our, for our audience, you're talking about the stages in LA. We're talking about second city and right. um, well, no longer IO, uh, but um, all of them groundlings, UCB, and groundlings, even uh, CBS, uh, mm-hmm. those places, those places, they don't, they don't show a true representation of the people, the, the audiences that are right. paying to keep them performing. Yeah. So um, I do roundtables, and so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there, there, there are roundtables I did, I do, and one of them was about being disabled in the industry, and that was so eye-opening because the way that people in this industry um, don't think about representation in every form how we have people who are are playing uh people who are in wheelchairs and we have brilliant people out there that are disabled and they're not getting cast because we can't do a flashback or something like that a two two minute or two second flashback about when they were walking or something and they can't they don't get cast but it's not about that and we don't have disabled writers and we don't have all of this um it's it just gets to the point where it's just like who's yeah. gonna who's gonna do this if nobody else is doing it well i i will tell you this it was so it was so strange um wasn't so strange uh, <laughs> i sat down for this you know informational meeting we'll call it like a 15 minute one-on-one with um a screenwriting agent here in los angeles and it was just like an information, and I had, I, all I said to him was, um, it was very informal. It was, you know, lots of people. And I just asked him, I was like, so are you currently um, taking on more clients or like what, and what do your clients look like? You know, it was an honest question. Like, yeah. are you hiring millennials and Gen Z? Like, what do you guys look for? And he looked at me and he goes, do you have a writing partner? And I, and I was like, well, I do, I have had writing partners. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I write with people and I, and I like listed some, and he goes, stick with the one of color. You're going to get you, you, like, you're not going to make it on your own. Mm. And I was like, because mm. I'm a woman or <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, like, right. Right. What's, right. What? I mean, but just the fact that like, you know, yeah. this is, there's not representation of, you know, um, it old, gets, yeah. Anything, color, older women, um, 
it gets so and, specific. I mean, we can go down to it because even mothers, you know, people, parents, and then mothers, uh, single parents, um, the parents of, of kids that have disabilities. Oh my gosh. Right. I mean, we don't, we don't care about their stories. We care to interpret their stories and right. that's not cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. We're just going to let this middle-aged guy that's been in the business forever and at the table take care of representing you. Right. Because he knows. Right. He knows. He knows how to write 30-some-year-old women and what they think. They think about their boobs all the time, right? We think about our breasts. Yeah. yeah. And, that's okay. what we do. It's like, and then we try and shower together. Oh, my God. That's what happens. It's and then we dance many... in the kitchen, right? Right. We dance in the kitchen. We drink a well, lot of wine. Oh, all right. we do is drink wine. That's right. We, dr we sneak wine for breakfast. We sneak we love wine. Lunch. It's wine o'clock. And it's the punchline to every joke. And I feel wine. like- Yes, and I feel like women drink wine because they think they're supposed to because that's what was represented on the television. Right. And I'm like, girls, you don't have to drink wine. You I know you've got the that. bird. I know your heartburn is flaring up every time you have a glass. Stop ordering it by the crate. Right. It's okay not to drink the wine. Smoke it's making sweet. your head hurt. Girl, you got a headache. You can stop. You can stop. <laughs> you don't have to keep going. Have a cup of chamomile tea. I don't know. Grape juice. That's Grape. how Jesus did it. <laughs> but he turned into wine. Oh, he did turn uh, into wine. Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't playing. Okay, so let's talk about where you started because I know that you started in Denver and you've been hustling ever since in an underground comedy doing stand-up while you day-jobbed. <laughs> and I can't remember if you were temping or if you actually had a job uh, in corporate America when you started? I was a, I was a programmer. Yes. I started as a programmer when I was uh, to work through college. So I was a programmer and uh, for an insurance company, girl. What were you programming? A programmer. I, it was a proprietary software uh, for a load balancing. Uh, so it was, it was an insane. It is crazy. Load crazy. balancing and like I, writing risk? It was um, data, like the the amount of traffic coming into an intranet at that time. Oh. So. And that was full time. And you were in college. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, she was at some point flying to Los Angeles to take uh, writing intensive mm. and improv intensive at wow, Second girl, City. I remember. Training. Wow. You're my that. sister. That's you're right. like you're my person. You share that kidney. You are I my forgot. You are my person. <laughs> <laughs> my memory is wicked weird. Ooh, um, she remembers. She latches. She I latches latch. on to key That's details. Amazing. I was. I need to write that part down about myself. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously. Okay, so this woman, programmer, full time student eventually gets married early, mm -hmm. has babies, mm -hmm. babies that, you know, you spent time in the hospital, mm. doesn't stop, doesn't slow down, performing at everything. night, yeah, performing at night, stand-up comedy, and then flying weekends to Hollywood to do training for, for second, the Second City. Dang, you remember. But you remember more than me. That's the life of a hustler. <laughs> I mean, that's what's so intense. What people don't see is that we work your jobs too, but our dream and our passion for art is so 
yeah. overwhelming and t- overtakes us that we'll just not sleep. We'll just, right. we'll drive yeah. forward with everything we've got. Sleep yeah. is for ordinary people. Sleep is for ordinary people. <laughs> when you were flying in, where did you stay? Because Hollywood has oh. some bad hotels. I stayed one time on Sunset in a hotel and there was blood in a hallway, girl. There was blood oh, in a hallway. No. I was like, is that blood? Did you see which room? It wasn't coming like to or from your room, right? I don't think so. I think it was like on the uh, stairwell going, you know, like you carry. This was a, it had to have been a motel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was right off sunset. And I was That's just like, good. and I had to pay for parking. So I had this cheap motel and I had to pay for, you know, I thought I'm getting, you know, whatever. I had this rental car and I had to pay for parking. So it all ended up being so much more expensive than I planned on it being. Right. And I think at the end, right before I had to catch my flight back, I ended up just sleeping in the hotel or uh, in the airport because I was like, this is too expensive. And I decided that one day I'm just in the airport and just oh God. there. So it, was that Burbank or LAX? I think it was LAX. Oh my God. It's all just, it's just flooding back to me right now. I'm just like, oh, you just we- unlocked something <laughs> in my mind. I don't know how this is going to affect my life. <laughs> so sorry. I'm so sorry. I blocked all that out. Well, it was, <laughs> it was intense. And um, you, what is so incredible about Mirage is that, um, she's married she has two children at the time Mm -hmm. um and is so driven and she moves her family i think i don't remember this part i'm probably making this up but somebody told her if you want to make it you have to be in california you know like denver wasn't the place it was underground comedy yeah i mean we had in in denver i had this fantastic amazing mentor uh comedy mentor hippie man and he taught me so much like stuff like you never drink when you're on stage you know don't drink your nerves away because you'll get caught up in that and that's not where the way you want to go um you know that you always will feel that you are tricking people that with your jokes and stuff like you will never feel as funny as you want to feel um and all of that people take these notes notes. right now i feel i wish someone had told me that right this woman is one of the best coaches of comedy so take notes Keep going. I love you so much. Um, but like he taught me all this stuff and I love, oh my gosh, love that, love that man. But um, eventually, so I, mm, this is where the, the husband thing comes in. So I don't know mm-hmm. how much you want to get into that because well, we're, just, getting into we're getting into it a bit, but oh, we, yeah. he's no longer here. Right. Get into it. And then we're going to get into getting out of it. Yeah. yeah we got to get out of that. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to go too much on him. He ended up moving. So I was working in, uh, in Denver and I was doing more comedic stuff. You know, I was just like, and I was doing bits for radio and I was doing, and I was in like um, a, uh, I was writing for, for some people that were making money, all that kind of stuff. And so I started to learn how to write for other comedians in, uh, in Denver. And I was just part of the whole scene. So Denver is a dope scene and it has a very specific style of comedy, which, Mm -hmm. you know, like Seattle, does all that kind of stuff. And you just, but it has a very specific, so serious about it. So serious about 
comedy. Comedy's real. You're not an actor, actress trying right. to be an actor and actress. You're you're there to be a comic, and right. that's it. You know, this is your life. Um, and so I was very, I, I'm very grateful to have been there. But eventually, my my ex just like, hey, we're moving to L.A., and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. And then I was, we we did it. Uh, all right, so job you we you were not the driving force, or your career no, wasn't. No, I was on the, you know, I was on a path. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm going to do. And I eventually wanted to do that because I was flying out. Right. I was flying back and forth. And I flew, like I had gone to Chicago, taking classes, gone to LA, taking classes, all of that. And I was down, but I had this, these babies and stuff. So I, was, I had these babies. I would put them, they would be in the green room with comics and I would go on stage. And my babies would be in, in they were raised in comedy clubs. So they would be in the audience. In so little, funny. Two bottle little, minimum. Like, uh, <laughs> car seats um, and stuff. Two titty minimum. Two titty minimum. That's right. That's why I couldn't drink. Forgot to right. breastfeed. I want, <laughs> it helped keep you sober. Before we get too far away from it, though, I just want to like just swing back to the, the programming job in Denver. Because... Um, you know, you're, you're working there. This is your, your day jobbing, but you're doing comedy and now you're, you're flying to LA on the weekends. How, like, do your coworkers know what you're about? Are they, yeah. are they supportive? Yeah. Well, you, you tell me, like, what was the situation with that? It wasn't like that. I mean, I had, when I got to a point where I was a programmer at an insurance company that was for a specific type of insurance for people who were had a hard time getting insured and all of that so i got to that position not because i was great at what i did but because i could make people laugh so um <laughs> i was able to get away with some stuff you know what i mean like i was able yes. to get away with some stuff but but i didn't really know i mean like i was able to do my job enough that i was able to make people laugh and then <laughs> do what i wanted to do and move up so it was, it was that kind of thing. They weren't really supportive because I, I've always been a really um, compartmentalizing person where I yeah. have, this is where I'm doing this job and th- these people don't know these people. Um, yeah. So I would just have to take the moments that I could. Um, I think that compartmentalization is actually, I mean, that's definitely a recurring theme on this show. That's how we survive because mm-hmm. I think that there, I've said this before too, is, um, there's a part of you that just recognizes or knows, or it's an insecurity that somebody's going to judge you. Like mm-hmm. either yeah. a, you're not good enough to be in the office that there you're in. Like, how did you get here? You become that right. person or you're not, she's not good enough to be a professional in the thing she wants to be. So she's here. So yeah. there's always, so you, you don't want people to know the truth and that the truth is that i'm way too fucking good to be in this <laughs> exactly the truth is we're too good for all of it we're too good for all of it nobody <laughs> ha- can no one is qualified nobody's to qualified. give you that you're not good enough like you are not qualified to tell me that like, right you, you don't have that those those the, letters the, the only reason say. i'm willing to lower myself to doing this menial task that you need me to do is because I need the money you're going to pay me so I can do something better. Exactly. That's exactly. Until the people know how much I'm worth. That's it. Like I just need people to understand. I need to put enough out there so people know how much I'm worth. 
Can uh, I ask yeah. you both, have you ever done a show? I did a show and there was barely anybody in the audience and the people that did show up and I don't know, how, I, I know how they found out one of my friends that I had admitted to at when I was at my corporate job that I was doing stand-up that night um, were people from the office and I was like, oh my God, I oh, can't. It was horrible. Yeah. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrifying and it was horrible because there was like, like <laughs> 10 comics, <laughs> me, yeah. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm one of the 10 and like six people in the audience and they're all from my corporate job. Yes. So I, I, <laughs> um, I never, so while I was at my corporate job, this would be the accounting firm. I never had anyone show. I don't know even know if I was doing standup at the time, but I got in, I think I got into it just as I was leaving there, but several years after I left that job, I was contacted by them because a couple of the partners of the firm were having like a big 70th birthday event and they're like, Hey, Jason, you're doing comedy now. And they hired me yeah. to come like be a, you know, be the stand-up comedian yes. for this event. And that's like being hired to be the stand-up comedian for your, for your, you know, your uncle's party. It's like, yeah. There's a lot. It's not just having some neutral comedian come in. It's like, no, Jason's coming. But they right. also wanted you to do a roast. It yes, wasn't just it was a roast. Oh, comedy. They were my like, God. you had to roast the owners of the <gasps> firm, the partners of the firm. Which I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to send to roast the people you used to work for. Oh, it's good. Oh, oh everyone should get this well, we opportunity. Should, <laughs> we should, that's, that's a good way to lead into this. What made you leave? Um, the insurance company while you were a programmer because I imagine you were probably making decent money. Oh yeah, I just hate money, and that I've oh, hated yeah. it yeah. since that time. You know what I mean? Of like course. I was just like, you know, I must not like money that much. Uh, I left at that particular time. Okay, it had to be baby related. I didn't have a really supportive spouse. Yeah, so yeah. I had, you know, that's why my, my girls ended up being green, green room babies, because, uh, you know, I'm just like, I was hustling. The way I became a director is because we needed a director for a show that I was doing in Denver at one time. And oh, our director was expensive. And eventually we couldn't like, he, he wasn't showing up. And we were just like, what? He wasn't even a comedy director we were doing. And we didn't have one. And so everyone was kind of like in fighting a little bit. And I was like, I'll, I'll direct the show. I didn't, you know, I didn't direct it well, but it was my first time doing it. And Jada was a teeny tiny baby. And I would have her in the like audience and direct this show. And we have this run at Jazz at Jack's. And it was, uh, you know, it was an, an amazing experience. Um, but I didn't have the support. So that kind of took me out of the corporate world. I love that hustle and that start. Cool. I think that that is, you know, I, I so, don't know where this is going to send my life. I don't know what's going to happen after this. <laughs> you unlocked something. This is a Manchurian candidate. I don't know well, what happened. <laughs> Did you, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Ever since we took this podcast to, to Zoom, thank you, pandemic, uh, we don't have like the after we stop recording, like hug and get it all out. Yeah. Like, we just leave you with all the shit we've dug <laughs> up. Right, right. That's part of the hustle though, right? Because you're not like 
writing everything down all the time. You're just like moving to the next thing. You're putting your one foot in front of the other foot and then you're moving on to the next. Right. Because you're only as good as the next gig or, or life is, you're always looking forward instead of backwards as an artist, you know, like the whole idea is to continue to be an artist, not to stop and reflect yet. Oh, that was great. I'm done. No, God damn it. There's more. (laughs) What is it? Well, the thing is, as artists, we're kind of, we're, we're nomadic, you know, yes. we have these mm-hmm. experiences and they're very intense, very intense. And very like we do our very best work and then it's over and we just walk away into the sunset onto the next thing, leaving behind, you know, in art, it's okay because everybody moves on and the audience is like left wanting more. But yeah. when we treat our jobs that way, you know, I, I certainly know that I've left jobs and like, and I'm never looking back and then oh, yeah. people reach out to me. I'm like, wait, no, it's over. It's over. Right. <laughs> right. I was at, um, my corporate, I was at Nestle for 10 years. Um, oh, I know you and Nestle. Oh my God. And I passed Nestle. I think about you. Okay. There. I've, I never ever took a personal item to my desk in mm. 10 years. I never had anything at the desk that was mine. Mm. Everything was like, the drawers were still filled with the person who had the role before me that mm-hmm. I inherited, like their personal Ooh. items. And I would like look through their personal stuff and whatever, the files, but nothing on the desk or in the desk was mine. I never, ever, ever set up home because I knew it was temporary. Even though I had 401k and like I was, yeah. I was like, uh-uh, this is not my job. I Ooh. think when we met, you were basically living out of a go bag. I was. I was, I was, I've never, I've never planted roots. Um, until you, until you wanted to, until you met me, (laughs) you're not a job. (laughs) God, remember that. (laughs) What's happening? (laughs) Hey, Jamie. Yeah. Do you remember when we lived in Highland park and ate the, Best goddamn sandwiches at Dave's Chillin' and Grillin'. Are you trying to make me hungry, Bieber? And Dave's hot. Bieber, what the hell, man? Now I need some of their fish and chips, like, right now. Done. Dave's is open Thursday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Abby's Diner on Eagle Rock Boulevard. And you can have your safe, small family holiday parties catered seven days a week. I know what I'm doing for Christmas now. And not only that. You can gift Dave's Hots for everyone in your family, near or far. It is the best goddamn hot sauce. So flavorful. Great on fries, sandwiches, chips. You're really selling it, Bieber. You're drooling. I'm sorry, Yang. Head over to daveschillin.com. That's daveschillin, C-H-I-L-L-I-N.com for store details and more. And support small businesses all season and all year. Bieber, remember in college when you tried to paint a wound on your hand to get out of taking finals? It was more than a wound, Jamie. I, I had a story, a lie, a real talent for No, makeup. no, no. <laughs> you didn't. But, you know, if you had hired Alexandra Bayless, you may have pulled it off. Allie is amazing. And you may have seen her award-worthy 31 days of Halloween makeup all over social media trending everywhere. From beauty to Edward Scissorhands, she's a goddamn genius. Actors? She even does headshots. Commercial, film, video, special effects, beauty, you name it, she is top of the line. 
You can check out her portfolio, book her, and more at alexandramua.com. That's alexandramua.com. And follow her on Instagram to watch all her incredible transformations. It's one of Jamie's favorite binges. The, the, the thing I think that is so attractive about being an artist too is this idea that we do have, um, we uh, value our freedom, mm-hmm. our independence, right? Um, and eventually, well, financial independence comes along with that. But um, as long as we are able to pay bills, you know, that side of it is sort of kind of compartmentalized in our brain. Like, oh, yeah. that's not real. Right. Turn it off. I can pay my bills. But, you know, the, the life outside of it is, even if it's two hours a day or once a week in an acting class, we're like, no, this is my life. You know, I'm going to plant roots here with this teacher mm-hmm. or at uh-huh. Second City. I'm going to plant roots at Second City, um, which is something you did. Like you have directed, improvised. You went through like every stage. You have done a lot. Um and I just want to talk about a couple things that you've done uh, in Hollywood itself when you got here. And now just remember, Mirage has been a full-time mom. Her kids did not go to regular school. They did um, virtual school. Yeah, independent study, yeah. Independent mm-hmm. study for their entire career. Not, right. Now, now everyone's doing it. You're now right. everyone's doing it. <laughs> now it's like. On this, and I have got to tell you, that is a full-time job for a parent. Yeah. It we is. We know that now. We know that. <laughs> Jesus. So let's talk about that. So you guys get to Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. when I say she gets to Los Angeles, I'm saying that because they didn't get to Hollywood. They got 45 minutes outside of Hollywood yeah. in um, a little town called Agora Hills. Girl, you know everything. <laughs> you remember. How do you remember this? Mir- Mirage is the first black woman to live in Agora Hills. For real. I think it's in the- I uh, was probably the only woman to live in Agora Hills. The census. People would look at her when she'd pump her gas and she'd be like, I live here. I'm part of Black History Month in in Agora Hills. (laughs) This is what we're talking about. She's out in Agora Hills. And what was that like? Like, what were you doing? I, uh, so I was there and it was kind of like I was thrust into this new world I knew LA just from coming in and out, but I didn't know LA. And um, and I was I was just a mama for just like a couple months until um, I started teaching. Yeah, where were you? I teaching? started teaching. I taught theater. Then I started teaching with Los Virgis Virginis Academy. And um, I teaching theater CV. there as well. In theater, yeah. yeah. I taught with CV, uh, uh, CVH, CVS Pharmacy. She done it <laughs> totally dis- discredited everything. Pay you in extra uh, bucks? No, they paid <laughs> yeah. her in receipts. Dude. Uh, you're so like, I can get a flu shot. Like, you don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not editing that out. Love it. I, uh, uh, I started teaching and uh, with then and then uh, with that and then I started I got a contract with um, that county which is Conejo Valley. I got I got a contract with Conejo Valley uh-huh. so I was able to like teach with different schools or after school programs and things like that. So you um, were auditioning uh, yeah, and doing classes yeah. And 
than uh -huh. teaching. And, and I was doing one, on, oh girl, I was doing one-on-ones for, so I was coaching people who were going on auditions, especially like kids and stuff like that. So I would coach I for that. auditions and I, uh, I took on a comedy sports yes. ki kids team or youth team. I, um, so you were training wow. the comedy sports youth team. Yes. I was and training. You were also a performer with comedy sports, weren't you? I was. Yeah. That was, that. yes. Yes. So I did that as well. And if you guys don't know what comedy sports is, um, comedy sports is an improv, uh, company. It's a company, an improv mm -hmm. company that, uh, a lot of corporations, um, hire, uh, it, and it's national, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is all over the place. That's, yeah. that's a very brandy kind of thing. It's like very branded. The form. McDonald's of, yeah. Yeah. And they come in and they, they do a lot of um, uh, workshops, workshops for corporate mm -hmm. America, you mm -hmm. know, teaching yeah. and also performing. It's like, it's, you know, old school uh, games and, and. Right. It's like, um, whose line is it anyway? Yeah. That kind of, if you're, if that makes sense to anybody, that's still a long time ago. So it's, I, it's sort of this thing where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's acting, it's comedy, but it's not also, it's like, oh, but you can feel a little bit relaxed because you're like, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to love to do. Yeah. Also like, but it's still a job and not actually the job I wanted do right what is that well you know what it is having done some short form improv oh, um, <laughs> it's you know it's it's a little gimmicky and it's uh because you're you're playing within very you know very defined very defined games that's all it is mm -hmm. yeah you know it's, it's like it, uh -huh. you, you it's like you start it's the very beginning stuff you learn when you start doing improv mm -hmm. and it works and audiences do like it mm -hmm. um and it's helpful, yeah. but then you as a performer want to grow past it. But if you're at comedy sports, there is no past it. Yes. Well, and what I meant it yes. too to say is like, even if you perform, it's a, it's a corporate gig because they're hiring you out to go and yeah. uh, teach and not in front of these mass audiences that you want. Not for people that are coming to the theater to watch you perform as an entertainer, but yeah. people who have to sit in a meeting because they're higher <laughs> Like you need to trust each other more. You need to play some games. So yes, in comedy sports, they're going to teach you trust falls. You know, it's like right. Like uh, everybody knows these want. games. This is like a a yeah. So um, yeah. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was, I was just going to say that comedy sports is so like it's the franchise. It's the mm -hmm. you're doing it, but like you said, you're not doing it. But you're making. You know, you're a chef. And you're making McDonald's hamburgers. Yeah. And you are just do you're the best, but you're just you're making them hamburgers. And yeah, that's not necessarily what you want to be doing because you have this set way that you're you're supposed to do things. And it's it's fine. I mean, I think that it has great training. It depends on like the the teachers and stuff there, but it's it's a it's a it's a corporate kind of thing. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just, I was doing a lot of, of, I wanted to make sure that my com comedic muscle was still there and I didn't want to just let that go and just go off into wherever my ex-husband was trying to push me. So I was like this, I need to stay on track. Like I had that. What did instinct. he want? Did he want you to stay home oh, just oh. with the kids? 
You know, he had two different careers that I should do while I stayed home with the kids. Um, one was I should work with the airline. You know, where did that come from? I don't know. But like be a flight attendant? You know, it helps. Be a I, I could, any, anywhere with, it, with the airline so that we could get free. Travel. Free travel. Mm. Girl. Oh, that's such an interesting. This is after you're flying back and forth from Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when it would have been right. useful. You should have exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I just want to tell. So here's my summation of sort of okay, what we're talking about so far is this is a very um, common hustler in Hollywood where it's like the a la carte menu. Like Mirage had an a la carte menu of jobs, <laughs> and she was piecing all those bits together to make a salary for herself, right? Yeah. And you do drive yourself or run yourself ragged, but you're enjoying it and you're wrapped up in the um, sort of um, energy that performance brings, right? And, and, and the hustle brings a certain energy of like- Yeah, I loved comedy. So I was, I was already in comedy from like my dad. So I was learning the technical part of comedy you know i was yeah. learning how to be um what hollywood wanted you to be so i was getting all of that training in while i was transferring that knowledge to other people um and teaching and then that's how i would make money you know i would be like okay this is what i get and this is how and i and i also was qualified to teach so i was like okay i'm able to teach and i'm able to use this to keep myself uh keep my muscle strong and so let me move forward with that and you know stay in what i i need to do to be able to make money because as far as my ex was concerned and as far as the world was concerned as at this point i was a stay-at-home mom yeah so Just i did all the stay-at-home stay -at -home mom, mom stuff. with 10 yeah. jobs <laughs> right um y'all this is why i hate when people are like think you know there's that thing that i have to fill out and it says um oh god like um are you stay-at-home mom what's your job and it's like yeah. do i list all seven jobs or what's right. the last one i got paid for the most like what do i put jason and you know it's very confusing when yeah. everybody wants to know your occupation and you're like do you so sometimes i'm just like writer <laughs> Sometimes I'm like actor. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like dishwasher. <laughs> I make shit up for that. Like constantly. I'm like uh, laundress. Laundress. <laughs> laundress. <laughs> I put laundress on a medical form because I was doing laundry at the time. And oh I was like, my god. That's a that's title, beautiful. right? Beautiful. Um. It, it is a title. I because listen, I find it offensive that you're asking me. It's as offensive as it is when you. Well, it's not. It's not as offensive as asking me the color of my skin on a thing because I don't know why that's necessary. Right. It's offensive to ask me what I do for a living because well, why they've got do a you quota care? to me. They have to hire a certain sure. number of laundresses. <laughs> Well, no, this is like medical forms and like, Things, yeah. you know, opening a bank account or like- Way to what? put you in a category. You so don't that, do that for yeah. your marketing purpose. It's for your marketing purposes. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know or tell me one doctor that looks at that and goes, laundress, oh, I know what's wrong with her. She's been exposed <laughs> to bleach for too long. No. <laughs> it's not doing that right now, you told me that you did that and then you actually were like subjected to a battery of each related tests because of it 
Ooh, we're gonna have to put you in that category. <laughs> and your insurance just went up. All right. <laughs> so, so as an a la carte, as an a la carte, um, a piecemeal, uh, uh, Jane of all trades. I don't like that word, Jane of all <laughs> trades. But because you are, are you you you? When we say Jane or Jack of all trades, we're always like. Um, Master of none. What is that saying? Jack oh, is master of master none. Of none. Master yeah. of none. That's uh -huh. not true. Master of all. Artists <laughs> right. are masters of all. Right. That's the thing. We will research that job oh, so please. that we do it better than anybody else has ever done it because we're so afraid of being found out that we're yeah. not this thing. Oh, you know everything. We, Preach. Yes, we we are the masters. Well, we're professional imposters. We're we're professional imposters. Yes. So. I don't think you were an imposter teacher, but tell me, like, when you show up and you're like, Well, you said it. the first time you just stepped in as a director, you had no idea what you were doing. Right. right. So the first I time mean, you step into a school district and you're like, for fuck's sake, I have kids. I, this is I have kids, so I can... <laughs> So what were you were thinking? Legit, yeah, and these were legit schools. So I'm teaching where, where my kids, you know, don't even go. I mean, I, okay, I just said that my kids didn't go to legit school. And they do. <laughs> they did. And they do. And they Listen, are quite brilliant. How did you make curriculum that first time? What oh, it was, it was wild. Because the reason that I got that particular gig was because I was Second City. And I was just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I have done this. And... Um, and they needed it. So I, I had the, at the very beginning, I had curriculum. I, I wrote everything out. I was so, I, it would take me days to kind of figure out what I was going to do for this hour long class and all of that. And then I started to teach public speaking and I started to teach, but it was all based on improv skills and stuff like that. Um, and what ages I, were you teaching? What grades? I was teaching from, I mean, all grades. It was all, all the grades. It was all the grades. Um, but I had a different, I had a unique style. So I would teach like public speaking based on like that particular child. Or I was teaching public speaking um, based on this group of kids. Instead of, I, I started to just like let go of this stress of curriculum um, because I was uh, not sleeping. And I was like, this is, this is too much. I wasn't even able to get through the, what I was what I was doing and I started to create this style where I would teach to individuals which is what I do now I I just take in that first day and I teach specifically to where that individual is in a setting of people um but that so, was a long time coming you've taught at Second City yeah let me ask you about students what is the weirdest situation with a student i know some of the students that we had and how the teachers were like oh mm. okay so you wrote about murdering the world that's interesting right a sketch about murdering the world and this sketch is six pages long that's and it's a to be continued isn't there a place where you stop a student and go wow you are way too offbeat for us we don't want your money keep walking yeah and you know what lost oh, me that we don't want your money <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I think, okay, so the thing that I, the worst kind of student that I've dealt with are the students that are not sensitive to other people in the class. So the ones that are just like, I'm going to make this racist joke that 
you might have heard with a black person in it. And I'm like, this is the same joke. You know, this is not funny. And yes, I, I don't want you like around me or, you know, I don't even want to know that you still are alive somewhere. I just want you to be gone. Right. You know what Make I mean? Like I just once let me correct you. And then if you don't find a way to correct yourself or right. fix or understand why we, what we're telling you is wrong. Adjust. Right. I mean, at least because I don't think that these are the type of people always that, you know, they are, they're coming into these classes and they think I'm funny because I, I throw parties and people laugh at me with my martini. And I'm like, you're not, that's not the funny that I try and get to you in these classes. And they're usually a male and they're usually the, the guy who always, already has done some type of whatever class they're in. Right. And they want to show you instead of learn. So they want right. to show you that they're funny. Right. And they want to be like, you know, they want to be like, oh, here's a joke about something completely horrifying. Right. And you're supposed to uh, chuckle at it. And I think early days, I might have been like, oh, okay. But nowadays, I don't even think those. I don't, those, those people don't even sign up for my classes because people know not to. They just like, you now they're that like, it would not be good for you. Yeah. That would, that would be. <laughs> what I find really interesting um, is that oftentimes, as a former student of Groundlings, Second City, and UCB for improv, what I have found is, um, when I sign up for a class, it's always, I know that I'm learning somebody else's way of teaching. Mm -hmm. So I'm not learning improv as a beginner. I'm learning UCB improv mm -hmm. as a first time person yeah. for that. Yes, I have a resume of, of improv, but I'm going through their program because mm -hmm. th that's just the way things are done, which I don't necessarily agree with, but we've all been through it. So whatever, but I don't show up in someone's class and go, Oh, I'm smarter and better than you. Yeah. But that's what people do. Like, Oh, I've been on seven shows. I've had yeah. a bunch of co-stars and I'm better than these people. So my joke is funny and it right. did land in the casting office. And you're like, sit the fuck down. Right. You died. Sit yeah. down. You just like charge. And that's the messed up thing about comedy. I think because there are different types of laughs, you know, like you can get a laugh. Like I always see you can, if you know the structure of comedy and you know, it's like, it's like music, there's a cadence an audience is going to laugh at it. They know da 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 punchline. You know what I mean? They know yes. bump, 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 punchline. Yeah. There are polite audiences. You'll get the laugh. And that's where the danger of comedy is because you can live there. And you can make a little bit of money and you can sell the drinks you need to and all of that. Like you can be in that level and you are Andrew Dice Clay. Absolutely. You know, it's Absolutely. interesting that you say you can make money because I don't feel like you can make money doing comedy unless you're really lucky in LA because LA is not, you know, the place where um, you as a performer, as a stand-up or as an improviser, really get any of the house. You know, like yeah. it's not the place where you're being you're privileged to go just perform your art in front of an audience and hopefully somebody yeah. who somebody sees you there. Like this right. isn't this isn't the place where you 
Um, even big successful comedians do free, you know, they work for free. Exactly. And they do. It's, they it's do. to get your name out there, really. It's mm-hmm. to build your resume. So you're really giving your art away. Um, but that's what we love to do anyway. So when we're talking about making money, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you're making play. your, you're, you're making parking. So you didn't get towed. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> right, right. Or maybe you're making enough, like you're headlining, you could get your car out of tow. Like that's, that's what you're making. That's the kind of money if you're, you get to the point where you're, you're actually bringing stuff in instead of either breaking even or having to pay to do it. Right. Which it's very expensive. You're making money when you, when you tour, like if you want to pay your rent and your bills, you have to get out of Hollywood and, you know, get an agent that lets you tour oh, on yeah. the road. Like that's yeah. what you're, or helps you get, get yourself a little VW bug. Right. Yeah. <laughs> teaching i mean like that's the thing like that's the jam right now like if you teach that's yep. where you're making your money i mean yep. like and if you're if you're a stand-up comic you got to do something else too i mean you gotta have to have your you're a an actor actress background i don't know all of that you're doing something to bring in that money or you just bring in unemployment i don't know what it is that you do right because you can't be waiting tables because those at night you got to be on the stage right doing comedy so mm-hmm. you're selling shoes during the day mm-hmm. yeah, you're a shoe salesman you run a gambling website you're ubering all day you're i feel i feel That's bad right. for my like my com- stand-up comedian friends who were who were making their living at it because corona has really killed it for them oh, yeah um yeah and it it came down with a hammer because there are some places that are still trying to do just some type of stand-up and every single time it's just been knocked down like Mm -hmm. there's no there's nothing right now it's only zoom which is an entire different style it's a it's an entirely different way to learn how to deliver comedy it's not the same at all are you teaching on zoom right now i am yeah. Are you teaching yeah. improv on Zoom? Right now I'm teaching, um, I have taught improv workshops. I'm teaching stand-up right now. Okay. So um, I can see that happening. I cannot see. I'm teaching a storytelling class in February and it's all virtual this year. And, um, you know, I think that there's something about storytelling and stand-up that, you know, while jokes won't land, it's the emotional connection that you still want to try to achieve uh, through Zoom or whatever, the you know, there's other besides Zoom formats that you're going to be performing on. Um, so it's making a connection. It's how you look up. It's how you're not staring down, you know, yeah. camera. It's, you know, being assertive right. um, and filling that space, even though there's quiet and there's no laughs because you're not going to hear them or yeah. there's no tears because it's storytelling. I never know if someone's going to be like, I want to tell my sad story. <laughs> um, so anyways, but with improv, yeah. I'm like, there is no goddamn way you can teach improv workshops online. Oh, man. And yet they're trying. And I'm like, well, God bless you. But no. I yeah. People doing like improv shows online. And I'm like, what's happening? It's, you know, I did a set, um, one, one set with, with, a, uh, with a, perf- a performer and it was, wonderful like it was so delightful i was just like this is great i could live in this set forever and it was um it it was an improv set it was great 
It was one of my first, but it's such a weird, I mean, you have to be a certain type of comic to be able to make it transfer to this. You can't be any, there can't be any falseness. You can't be, you have to be completely genuine and open, like to be yeah. able to even like keep the attention of the people that are watching. Cause otherwise don't do it. It's just not, it's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. Yeah. Do, do an album and have a laugh track. Yeah. That's the way to go. No, I'm serious. That's the way to go. Like do it, do it like as like a. Um, you are supposed to be laughing here. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. You you have to laugh. You you go but um bump and then the laugh comes in. Like so it's oh, like. Oh, need that like the hi hat too. No, but I'm saying <laughs> joke, joke, setup, laugh, joke, joke, setup, laugh. You know, like yeah. because that's the thing that's missing. You have to be the kind of comedian in this format, I think, that is storytelling. Yeah. You know, you're not waiting for the laughter. You're not waiting for the energy. You're pausing at the right moments to allow what you've said to settle in, which is back to Mirage said, it's genuine. It's, yeah. it's real, it's authentic, and it's deep. Like you're, you're, um, um, there's a word that I'm looking for. Like you're leaning into, yeah, into the stuff that is raw, you know? Yeah. Because that's what people are, you have to relate to people on this format. They have to relate to you. It can't, mm. it's not like, ha ha ha, funny joke. And you're like, <laughs> that wasn't funny. I'm going to tell that to the guy at work tomorrow. Like right. that's not going to happen. Because I'm not right. going to work tomorrow. Because I'm not going to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right. You, I, I think it's just such a, you have to be so authentic. You have to, to kind of open, what I say? You have to get emotionally, you have to do your emotional striptease because it's, uh, you have to, carry the audience in a way that is so different than this live performance you have to keep their attention and then you got to slap them in the face with something that they didn't expect you know to come at them right so you're just like constantly bam 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 and this is such a weird art form because I, I always say it's so weird that we're the type of performers that are we're always asking for did you like that? Was that good? Did you like it? Okay. Like, I, yeah. I, that's like any, me like, bed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The answer is always no. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just like in comedy, you're going too fast. But I'm um, <laughs> So I'm flipping the switch for a minute, and this is heavy. Like, hello, we're laughing about sex jokes, and I'm about to pull the rug out from everybody um, because the one thing that I really want to talk about with Mirage too <laughs> is that she works as a counselor for the crisis text Ooh, line that's and right. um, I don't know I find I'm somebody a couple people have told me I'm an empath which mm -hmm. I'm like well aren't all artists I mean like we are <laughs> absorbing people's emotions and then reflecting it back right we're basically yeah. echoing um, everything we've absorbed and that's how what makes us as writers artists actors comedians anything really good at what we do if we can absorb feelings and really sort of identify with people yeah um so how do you how do you do that xanax okay so you're asking <laughs> me <laughs> so you are a counselor for the crisis yeah so that's a lot of like what Okay, so everything about what my comedy is right now is I, I, every 
piece of me. So I don't really like, I mean, there is a car, uh, like I do compartmentalize with the, the, the being a, a counselor and I don't use like stuff I, I deal with in my sense, like, Hey everybody, you know what? Um, but there's such a, I have a parallel between like comedy and pain because I've been dealt a lot of pain, you yes. know, and I've taken it, you know, I've just been like, okay, let's do this. That's not like there, there have been times in my life that I've tried to, you know, you try to avoid it, but I'm like, you're in the haunted house. The only way to get out is through that guy with the chainsaw. You can't, you have to make it past that guy. You cannot stay in this place forever. You got to get out of it. So I am, I think the ability to see others and the, what I've been taught as a counselor helps me to be a better comedian because yeah. I'm able to understand that at the basis of, uh, at the base of everything, everybody just wants to be seen. Everybody wants to know they exist. Everybody wants to know that, that they aren't alone. And at any, and, and we live, we live life in moments. So if someone can be seen, they have the opportunity to be happy. And that's what I can translate into uh, comedy. So and in a crisis situation, you're trying to get them from a, uh, this hot moment to a cool, cool, a cool moment. So we say like, mm -hmm. like, and everybody can have this moment. Like we can't say, oh, people, there are certain people that are suicidal and there are certain people that aren't we all have that potential anybody because see we live in these moments and so you're talking to someone who has a moment that may be so different than what they usually feel like they feel which makes them feel uncomfortable and you can take them from this moment to this next moment just by saying there is a next moment <laughs> mm -hmm. just by saying there will be a tuesday okay so this isn't going to last forever um right. i think that as a comedian, as a teacher, as, you know, being a mom, being all of that, it's helpful for me to be that because I can see an audience and know that they're not there for cotton candy. They can, you know, they're not there just to have that little, like, eh, <laughs> that was funny. Right. But, you know, especially in a Zoom situation where you can get up and check your, your meat, meatloaf in the middle of it. You're like, I got to go check my meatloaf. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to run to the restroom. Right. Don't say that. I desperately have to go to the restroom. Um, I've never heard of the crisis text line. Is it just a phone number and people will shoot out a text and you'll get it and answer? Uh, yeah. People text 741741. So like they will text home or something to 741741. So we're on computers and they're on their phones or whatever device. And okay. we, and there's a queue of people and we respond to the people that come in. And sometimes we take more than one at a time. Uh, so you have like more than one situation at a time, depending on how, um, you know, how, I mean, if how there's good you are or something, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I think it, I, I do, what I do think is that it's remarkable, you know, um, how much you give of yourself, you know? And I, and I think that that's an innate quality of many, many artists in general, successful artists is, you know, our art is a part of us and we're always giving that because we'll do it for free. Just ask us. That's why we hustle because we want you to have 
what it is we have to share. Oh, we've been doing this podcast for two seasons for free. Speaking of podcasts, and I don't know if Mirage is on Patreon yet or has merch yet. Oh, no, I'm I brand love, new. I love the title of it. You guys, yeah. Mirage has a podcast now called Mirage's Incomplete Handbook on How Not to Give a Fuck. Um, my biggest question at the end of each podcast is, was it all worth it? Do you love what you're doing? Are you glad that you uh, stuck it out, went through everything you went through? Is it all worth it? I think that, you know, with this and my dad and all of that kind of stuff that has gone through, I could be someone who is arguing with a garbage can on Hollywood Boulevard about how much it owes me uh, $1.5 million. I could be that person or I could be who I am right now. And this is a choice. And I love this. I love this journey. So there's a couple of things I just want to leave before we say goodbye, I want people to, um, we're going to list all of Mirage's um, uh, uh, current hustles, uh, where you can see her, where you can find her, where you can coach with her, because mm -hmm. if she's coaching right now, you shall be signing up. Um, but also, I want to make sure to put the crisis text line number on there. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Do that for yeah. um, callers as well. Is that national or do they have to live in California? Or, or? No, actually, um, we have different countries now too. That's but amazing. it's 741741. So you, you can text friend to 741741. And then you'll be connected with a counselor. Um, and um, you don't have to give your name. You don't have to give any information that you don't feel like you want to give. Um, and we're just there to listen to you. Is there anything specific that you want to plug right now um, that you have going on? I mean, Hollywood accountability is huge for me right now. It's a group that we are using to hold um, the theaters and studios accountable for th the inequality in Hollywood. We need volunteers. We need, uh, we need a lot of tech people. Basically. So we'll link to that. And if there's a way that you can um, and want to get involved, um, we'll have that up on the website as well. And it's amazing. So um, I encourage everybody to really look at uh, Hollywood accountability. You guys have done a great job really oh, uh, yeah. people and reaching out and making a difference, uh, which is huge. Hello, 2020, one positive <laughs> thing. Um, but as Mirage likes to say, and I agree, because I feel this way for myself, she makes tens of dollars a year <laughs> helping people Helping people become the best selves and the best artists they can be and make zero dollars a year being the best artist on the planet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, make, I, I make a couple coupons here and there, a couple coupons. Honestly, want to thank you so much. It is such an honor to have you on our podcast. Oh, um, it's an honor for me. I'm so happy that it worked. This is, yeah. Rona didn't it keep worked. us down. <laughs> COVID didn't keep us down. She showed on Monday, made love on Tuesday, by Wednesday she was down. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday when we will be talking to the amazing actor, artist, writer, comedian, and just super wonderful person, Celeste Pekosh. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or pretty much anywhere you like. And the new episode will magically appear in your queue on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Or you can play right from our website at www.makethatpaperpodcast.com. Oh.